Uh, The passage is all about what's involved in continuing in Jesus. Let me read our passage for us this morning. John 15, uh, beginning at verse 1. Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so, I, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So reads the word of God. It is a passage you will have picked up that is all about continuing in Jesus. Uh, The word remain or abide comes up ten times just in the first couple of paragraphs. And if you look back to chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Uh, Would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And the word for remain or abide in chapter 15 is related to the word for room in chapter 14. literally means a remaining place, a dwelling place. And the implication is, We will never be at home in heaven if we are not at home now 
in Jesus. We will not abide in the Father's house if we are not abiding in his Son. And Jesus spells out in these verses what is involved in abiding in him. Jesus begins by likening himself to a vine. I am the true vine, he says. I am the vine, you are the branches, verse 5. And I'm sure many of you will know this is not random imagery. It is very, very loaded. Uh, most countries have a, a national symbol of one kind or another. Uh, back where I come from in, in England, uh, one of the national symbols is a lion, that being such a, a common indigenous species in England. Uh, in Wales, it is a dragon. Don't ask me why. Uh, in America, it is the bald eagle. At least you have bald eagles. That's a, a good thing. Uh, Canada have gone for the ferocious and intimidating maple leaf. <laughs> and uh, Scotland has gone for the thistle, uh, which uh, I love pointing out to my Scottish friends that when God curses the ground in Genesis 3, it produces thistles. And so... <laughs> Their cultural emblem and all that it stands for is itself a result of the fall of the world. But um, just seeing if there are any Scots in here this morning. Well, Israel's national symbol was the vine. The vine spoke of who they were and what they were about. The vine, as an image, reminded them that they had been planted in the land by God. It reminded them that they existed to bear fruit for him. And so when Jesus turns up and says, I'm the true vine, he is making a huge claim. He is saying that he is all that God's people were meant to be. And it is only by remaining in him that we can be part of God's people. So as we go through this passage, there are four things Jesus says are involved in remaining in him, in abiding in him. Four things that will happen if we are to continue in Jesus. And the first is this, being pruned. Abiding in Jesus involves being pruned. Again, verse 1, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. And his job is to prune. Actually, his job is to do two things in verse 2. Again, Jesus says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So the Father cuts off the branches that don't bear fruit. And he cuts back, he prunes the branches that do. But please notice, my friends, that no branch escapes the blade. There's no third option of just kind of keeping quiet, trying not to attract attention, just keeping a low profile and, and hoping no one bothers you. Every branch is cut. For those who do not remain, the purpose, ultimately, verse 6, is that they be thrown away and discarded. 
we've sort of had an example of that back in chapter 13 with Judas. People who seemed to be part of things but were never actually connected to Jesus. But for those who do remain, Jesus says there is pruning ahead. And so right at the outset, Jesus shows us there will be hardship in the Christian life. Uh, My church back home has a a bit of land next to it, and uh, we've kind of tried to turn that into a nice garden. And so a couple of times a year, uh, we have what is... Uh, falsely billed as a garden work party. Uh, The words work and party should not really belong in the same context there. It's like fun run or (laughs) airline food. Uh, But anyway, we have these uh, garden sessions where we have a, a very experienced gardener in the church who directs all of us, a whole bunch of us turn up and we're given our instructions And uh, on one occasion, I was tasked with doing some pruning, given some some cutters, pointed to a tree and said, go prune the tree. And as I was was there, I was cutting away and kind of pretending I was a hairdresser and saying, sir, doing anything special for the summer, short back and sides, that kind of thing. (laughs) And uh, the gardener came over to me and said, Sam, you've got to prune far more deeply than that. I was just kind of nibbling away at the edges and she said to me, you've got to hack this thing right back. And she showed me what she had in mind and I I then copied her and started cutting in that kind of way. And it looks cruel. It really looks as though you hate the tree. As you're kind of hacking away at it, it it looks severe. And it also looks wasteful. You're, You're hacking away lots of good stuff. The floor is being covered with fruit. And all that you have left is kind of stumps, bleeding sap. But that is pruning. And Jesus says that is the Christian life. Any branch connected to him will be pruned. You will be cut back. And friends, that is going to be hard. When those divine cutters come down, it may well seem cruel and wasteful. It's going to hurt. God may well cut back things that are very, very painful to lose. And it will feel at times like God has just left us like a bleeding stump. But Jesus shows us why God would do this. The point of it all is there in verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The point of it all is to make us more fruitful. Now, I once um, shared an apartment with a a friend of mine who kept a bonsai tree. You know those little mini kind of Japanese trees? You know the things I'm talking about? And he was, you do know these things? Thank you, just checking you're still alive out there. 
uh, he was pretty obsessive about this little tree. He gave it all the attention and care it needed. He was constantly kind of clipping it and fussing over it. And uh, one day I had just cleaned the kitchen and I'd left a load of bleach in the sink uh, just to kind of let it soak for a while. And my friend walked into the kitchen thinking it was water in the sink. He dipped the bonsai tree in to give it a bit of a drink. And uh, over the coming day, it turned yellow and died. All of which is by way of saying, I'm pretty hopeless when it comes to plants. Uh, They don't have a long life expectancy. I'm the kind of terminator when it comes to horticulture. I'm hopeless but God the Father is not. And so when it comes to his plants, he knows exactly what he's doing. And his purpose through it all is to be constructive. God is wanting to move us forward. He's wanting to grow us. And therefore, what is being cut back is what we need to lose in order to grow in God. And again, friends, there will be time when it is very, very painful. Uh, There are times for me when when battling same-sex attraction is very painful. There are longings and desires that I know God is wanting to prune out of me. Uh, There is the pain of feeling, feeling drawn into the kind of relationship that I know is not pleasing to God. There's the pain when a a close friend moves away or gets married and isn't around as much. I went to a a wedding a a while ago uh, of some good friends of mine and it was lovely. At the uh, wedding reception, the father had a dance with his daughter and the father evidently is not a natural dancer, so he had taken lessons so that he could dance with his girl on her wedding day. And it suddenly hit me watching that beautiful moment that I'm not going to get to do that. And it can be painful. You will have your equivalents. Those blades that prune us are very, very sharp. But Jesus wants us to know that the person holding them is unfathomably good. And he prunes us to help us. The result, again, verse 2, is more fruit in our lives. Jesus goes on to say in verse 4 that no branch can bear fruit by itself. Apart from Jesus, we cannot please God. Apart from Jesus, we we cannot live for God. But his promise is that if we remain, we will bear fruit. Not just that we can, but that we will. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Jesus says it will be an inevitable consequence of remaining in him. We're not called to produce fruit, we're called to bear it. Uh, 
So friends, I don't know what trials, what hardships, what pruning you are facing this morning. God doesn't promise that circumstances will always change in the way that we want. He doesn't promise that we'll always have the ultimate dream that we want. He doesn't promise we'll have the relationship we've been hankering after or the family or the home or the career that we've been longing for. But he does promise that we will become more fruitful as we abide in his Son. We will become more like Jesus as we draw more and more on him, as we feed on his sap, we will bear much fruit. We will become like him. 1 John 3 reminds us of these truths in these words. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus promises that fruitful branches will become more fruitful, but that fruitfulness is not going to happen without cost. There will be pain if we're going to be fruitful for Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just leave us with a challenge, he leaves us with his own example. It's worth remembering where Jesus was when he said these words. In a matter of hours, he would be arrested. Not long after that, he would be crucified. We will be cut back. Jesus was cut off. He was allowed to wither. He was picked up and thrown into the fire so that we might bear fruit. And however much that fruitfulness will cost us, it will never cost us more than it cost him. Now, if we're going to continue in Christ, we will be pruned. That's the first thing, being pruned. Secondly, Abiding in Jesus involves being obedient. Notice in this passage, remaining in Jesus is equivalent to his words remaining in us. Have a look at verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Jesus says his word has already come to us if we are his followers. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken. God's word has already brought us to life. And that word that has come needs to remain in us. So friends, that means we need to know Jesus' words. Not just to hear them, but to be attentive to them. Now, if you're anything like me, you have different levels of listening Uh, Just occasionally, if I'm on the phone to uh, my parents, don't tell them this, 
And uh, they're kind of chatting away and chatting away and chatting away. Just very occasionally, I might be just clearing one or two emails out of my inbox at the same time. But when a doctor says to you, this is what's wrong with you and this is what we need to do, you listen very differently, don't you? Well, which level of listening do you apply to the words of Jesus? But knowing Jesus' word isn't enough. No, Jesus says we need to obey him. The word needs to remain in us, and that means we need to keep Jesus' words. When he says his words remain, he means, again, abide. It's a sense that his word finds a permanent home in our hearts. Jesus' word is to take residence in us. Um, If you ever watch the Oscars, you will know that um, when they're giving their acceptance speech, there are very strict time limits on how long they can blather on thanking all and sundry for and they've had to kind of get quite strict on that these days because people can just ramble on for hours and hours thanking their fifth grade teacher and their pet dog from when they were four and all these kinds of things and so the system now you will know is that after a certain length of time whether you have finished or not the orchestra will just strike up and play you off And friends, there is every danger that that we do that with God. We open our Bible and we think, okay, God, you've got a a couple of minutes. And then we play him off. That's enough now. No, God's word needs to live in us. It needs to take root in us. It's not just there to be looked at. It's not just there even to be revered. It is there to be followed and obeyed. Have a look down at verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We remain in Jesus as we obey him. And the sign that we do these things is not just that we we read his words, that we obey his words, but that we enjoy his words. As we begin to obey Jesus, we realize it is ultimately no real hardship to do so. Because Jesus says in verse 10, as we obey, we remain in his love. As we follow his word, it is the way in which we bask in the love that Jesus has for us. Because his words, his commands expose us to the warmth of his love. And so just as Jesus' obedience to the Father was his means of remaining in the Father's love, When it comes to Jesus, everything he calls us to do is an expression of his love for us. 
And therefore, as we walk in obedience, we see the goodness of his ways. Uh, David, back in Psalm 19, said that the commands of the Lord are radiant. David's not just talking about the promises of God or the assurances of God or the, the kind of inspirational teachings of God. David is talking specifically about the commands of God. And he says the commands of the Lord are radiant. Friends, can you ever imagine saying those words of anyone else's commands in this world? You get home from, from work one day and your husband or wife says to you, how was, how, was, how was work? And you say, do you know what? My boss dumped a load of stuff for me to do on my desk. And do you know what? His commands to me were radiant. It was, it was just beautiful as he told me to get this done and this done and this done. It was just, it was gorgeous. We can't ever imagine the commands of anyone in this world being beautiful, but the commands of Jesus are. His commands are radiant because he is radiant. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There are times when the words of Jesus are very painful and very hard for us. But it does mean that they are always, always, always good for us. And as we walk in his ways, we begin to perceive more and more of his goodness. We test and approve his will. It brings his goodness and love home to us. And so it's not the case, well, I'll I'll obey God's word when I like it. It's the other way round. One of the reasons you may not like God's word is because you're not obeying it. And again, Jesus is the example for us. Back at the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know I love the Father. Jesus did not obey his father through gritted teeth. And if we abide in him, we obey him. And as we do so, we abide in his love. So being pruned, being obedient. Number three, being prayerful. Uh, Jesus makes what looks like a bit of a reckless promise in verse 7. Uh, He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now notice this promise is not for anyone, it's for those who remain in him, which as we've seen involves walking in his ways in obedience to him. As we remain in him, as we walk in his ways, we learn how to pray. We learn what matters most to him. We discover that prayer is not bending God to our will, it is bending ourselves to his. The work of producing fruit is God's and therefore we depend 
on the Father. And so we ask of the Father. And again, Jesus is the example. We frequently see Jesus praying in the Gospels. And friends, I don't know how busy your life is. I'm sure it's very busy. But if Jesus needs to pray to the Father, I think you do too. If Jesus needs to commune with the Father, how much more do we? And what will most help us to pray is knowing who we are in his Son, knowing the kind of heavenly Father we have, knowing the kind of Son that we are before him. Just turn over a page or two to John uh, chapter 17. It's one of my... Uh, favorite verses. Uh, Jesus is praying. All of John 17 is Jesus praying to the Father. And look at what he does. Um, in the, the final paragraph, he prays for those who will believe in him. That's, that's us. Jesus praying for us. And look at what he says in verse 22. Praying for us. Jesus prays, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and get this and loved them even as you loved me. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that in him We are as loved by the Father as the Father's eternal Son is. That you have loved them even as you have loved me. That is who we are before the Father as we abide in his Son. We have going with the Father the kind of relationship Jesus had going with the Father. And just as an aside, my friends, this is why the Bible calls all of us, Christians, male or female, sons of God. That can be a bit hard. I know if you're a female to be thought of as a son, it can be hard for us who are guys to be thought of as a bride of Christ. So we've all got to kind of get our heads around these things. But the reason you are a son of God is to make it very clear that you have the same standing before the Father as the Son does when you come in the Son's name. It's not that there's the Father and then the Son and then there's another layer and it's the kind of the kids. No, all of us share in the sonship of Jesus. Um, A few years ago, I was on a a long-haul flight and... uh, it was an amazing experience because I knew the captain. Um, I knew when I booked the ticket, it was a route he often flew. He's a friend of mine. So when I booked my ticket, I sent him an email and said, just want to let you know I'm flying with you guys and uh, I know it's a route you sometimes do. Do you know if you'll be flying that day? And he wrote back and said, um, I'll have a look at the, the roster and see what I can do. And he came back to me a few weeks later and emailed and said, I'm going to be flying you. So he said to me, I'll see you in the departure lounge. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll be in the departure lounge. I was sat there. By the way, I had a shirt and tie 
and smart jacket on thinking, just, just in case he needs me to sit anywhere nearer the front of the plane, I want to look like I'd be, I would fit into that. Anyway, he's, I'm in the departure lounge. He comes in all dressed up in his captain uniform and he says to me, Sam, make sure you are the last person to board the plane. So when everyone else is already boarded, you go up yourself and when you board the plane, say to one of the cabin crew, I'm a guest of the captain. And I thought, that sounds promising. That sounds good. So I waited for everybody else. I got onto the plane and immediately one of the crew said to me, oh, you're, you're with the captain, aren't you? And I said, uh, yes. Yes, I am. And uh, she said, oh, come with me. And we turned left, which was a, always a good sign. And uh, she took me through the, the business class and we carried on. She took me through first class and we carried on. And she took me into the cockpit to, to meet the captain. And the captain said, oh, Sam, sit, sit here. And he, he sat me down in the jump seat. I think they've changed the laws since then so that <laughs> people like me are nowhere near the, the front of an aeroplane. But I spent the entire flight sitting in the cockpit. And what made it even more special was the crew could not do enough for me. They kept sort of fussing and and checking on me. They said, you know, you can have your choice of anything uh, from the menu. Uh, If you want to go into first class and sit and watch a movie, you're welcome to do that. And I was thinking, this, I'm a bit of a plane geek. This is the best movie I will ever have in a plane. At the end of the flight, the the plane's bursar came up to me and presented me with a goodie bag of presents and said, thank you so much for coming on the plane today. It's been such a joy to have you. These are a few gifts from us to thank you for flying. And I replied by saying the only thing I could think of, which was, any time. <laughs> you know, happy to come back. My, I assure you my schedule will be flexible for this. If I can ever help again by gifting you with my presence, just let me know. Now, friends, that is not my normal experience of flying. All of that happened because I was a guest of the captain. Every courtesy afforded to the captain was extended to me. You see, because I came in as a friend of the captain, I came in at his level. If I'd come in in my own name, I'd have been in the back of the plane. I came in in the captain's name and therefore I came in at his level. And friends, when we come to the Father through the Son, we come in at the Son's level. Uh, Paul tells us in uh, a couple of places, in Galatians and in in, uh, Romans, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Now, when you hear the word Abba, you may be scholarly and think that was 
one of the lovely intimate words a, a Jewish boy would call his father at home. You may come to it from a different level and think that was a Swedish excellent pop group who wore spandex and gave us some great tunes. The most important thing to think, actually, no, this is the word that Jesus himself, the eternal Son of God, called his Father. And we call the Father by the very same word. And so remaining in Jesus involves being prayerful. We can come before the Father in the name of the Son and ask him for anything. Again, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That doesn't always mean we will get what we want, but we will always get what is for our good. As Tim Keller once said, God will either give us what we ask for or what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knows. So continuing in Jesus will involve being pruned, it will involve being obedient, it will involve being prayerful, and finally as we finish, it will involve being together. All that Jesus has just told us, all these things we do, we do together as God's people. And Jesus adds to that, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. If we are abiding in Jesus, if we are bound to him and united to him, we are united to everybody else who's also bound to him. If I'm united to Jesus and you're united to Jesus, I'm united to you. It's why we can never say, well, I I do Jesus, but I don't do church. No, as a Christian, you cannot truly be yourself by yourself. You are part of a body. Paul says in Romans 12 that we who are many in Christ are made into one body and each part belongs to the others. So my friends, whatever issue you have to deal with in life, you are not designed to cope with it on your own. I tried to do that with same-sex attraction for a number of years. I was desperate to keep the issue to myself. I thought, if I spoke of this to other believers, I'd be letting the side down. I feared losing Christian friendships. But when finally I did tell my friends, when I did tell people in my church, it made a huge difference. We need Christian community. And friends, therefore, we need to create a culture in our church 
families where these things are safe to talk about. Where actually we can talk about the things that shame us the most, that trouble us the most. Two of the most destructive words in church life are, I'm fine. Because generally what we mean by I'm fine is either, I don't fancy chatting right now, or I'm not fine, but I don't want people to know that. No, as we are pruned, as we seek to walk in obedience to Jesus, as we aim to bring our requests before our fathers, all of these things we do far more effectively when we do them with others. Praying on your own will help you to be someone who prays with others, and praying with others will help you to be someone who prays on your own. Obeying will help you to be someone who obeys with others. And obeying with others will help you to obey on your own. Suffering with others will help you to suffer in your own life. It's what it means to be a body. We are bound together. Uh, A while ago, I managed to stub my toe at home. Do you call it that here, stubbing your toe? I was uh, padding around at home in, uh, I didn't have any socks or shoes on, I was just barefoot. I was just exiting my bedroom and I closed the door as I kind of walked backwards out of the room and I misjudged the positioning of my foot with the flight path of the closing door. I also discovered that the bottom of the door is just the right distance above the ground to get straight under the the top of your, your big toenail. And so as the door closed, it took off a a fairly generous proportion of my big toenail. Now, when that happened, the rest of my body decided to join in. (laughs) In solidarity. And so my eyes watered. uh, My mouth emitted a fairly high-pitched, unusual kind of sound... My other leg thought it would help by by hopping for a moment or two. I don't quite know the rationale behind that. And my hand reached down to grab the toe. In other words, it wasn't just my toe that hurt. I hurt. And when one part of the body hurts, the whole body is affected. When one of us is struggling, that affects all of us. No, being pruned, being obedient, and being prayerful, these things are so much better when we do them together as part of a body. So friends, I don't know what you are going through, and I don't know what your expectations are for the future. I don't know what your spiritual equivalent of of the hoverboard is, but thinking, you know, in 20 years' time, I'll have self-lacing shoes and hoverboards and flying cars I don't know what you are dreaming the next 20 years of following Jesus to look like. But Jesus says, if you stay in him, you will be pruned. Blades will come and cut. And they will cut deep. 
Staying in him will involve obeying him. And actually that will become a joyful thing. Staying with him will involve praying as we grasp the sonship we have been gifted in Jesus. And staying with Jesus means staying with his people and doing these things together. Well, let me pray for you as you seek to to follow this as a church family. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father, we thank you for these verses. We thank you that the Lord Jesus shows us what continuing in him will involve. We thank you that we can know what the Christian life will be like. So please help us to be those who trust the Father when he cuts into us and prunes us. Help us to trust the words of Jesus, the commands of Jesus, that they are part of his love towards us. And Father, we thank you that we can call you our Father, that we don't have to approach you in our name, but that we approach you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the gift that we are part of a body of your people. We are part of a family. Father, thank you for this fellowship here at Delray. Please would you bless my brothers and sisters. Would this body of believers be one that grows together, walks together, weeps and rejoices together, bears fruit together, and by your Holy Spirit changes this community together. And we pray these things in the precious name of your Son. Amen.